When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description. To see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode! Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler, and today we need to talk about Kanye West. Now, this episode was meant to come out a couple of days ago, but I pushed it back because the research for this one took me a while, and I'm really only going to be talking about events that have happened in like the last maybe four or five years. If you're new here, this episode is part of my We Need to Talk About series, where I highlight a, usually a male (laughs) figure in the public eye who um, may be struggling with some mental health issues, and we kind of seek to understand how do masculinity and mental health interact with each other, and what kind of cautionary tales can we take away from um, these figures? I also want to announce up top that I'm going to be taking a few weeks off as we round into the new year. So this is going to be the last episode of 2022, and I will be back with new episodes around mid-January. So I figured last episode of 2022, let's end it with a bang, talking about one of the most controversial figures of the year, Kanye West. Uh, Yay, as he has changed his name to Kanye West, yay, yay West. We can call him many names, um, but this is the, the focus of today's episode, and I'm going to use this media figure as an opportunity to provide some more information about bipolar disorders, as well as discuss some things like how racism and conspiratorial thinking get wrapped up in mental health and lead to bad outcomes like anti-Semitism. So just a you know blanket content warming up talk, I'm gonna up top, I'm gonna be talking about some disturbing things, including anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. So if those are, tough, those are tough topics for you, please feel free to skip this episode or skip around in it. Um, there will also be quite a few mentions about pornography and um, like sexual harassment. So again, if those are, are difficult topics, just let you know up at the top that they're going to be mentioned. And it's going to be pretty much all over the episode. So just know that going in. So in this episode, I'm going to be focusing on essentially the last four or five years of Kanye West's um, public appearances and things that he's spoken about publicly. 
really narrowing down in on, of course, the things that have been happening in the last few months. So if you have not been hearing, um, just to give some context, Kanye West has been doing quite a few appearances on right-wing news shows like Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones. Um, he went on Gavin McGinnis's show. Gavin McGinnis is the founder of the Proud Boys. He's been going on a lot of these shows and saying really, truly heinous things about Jewish people, the Holocaust, Hitler, like in, in defense of Hitler and against Jewish people, and has been really doubling down on these things, got banned from Twitter and Instagram again after he had been unbanned, and has been escalating his language as he says he's campaigning for president in 2024, and that this is part of his campaign somehow. So that's kind of why I started to think about doing this episode and to kind of figure out like, what's what's going on here? Um, can we look at this from a mental health perspective and kind of understand it? So I want to start by kind of diving in into what Kanye has said about his own mental health. So in an interview he did with David Letterman uh, that I think came out in about 2018, Kanye West came out and said that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2017 and had been involuntarily hospitalized in 2016. And in this interview with David Letterman, which I think is on Letterman's like show he was on after he ended his talk show, it was called like My Guest Doesn't Need an Introduction or something. Um, it, on this show, Kanye describes that when he was in the throes of mania, which is the one of the poles in bipolar disorder, he would become very paranoid and become kind of like hyper aware of what was going on around him. And that when he was hospitalized, it was quite a wake up call for him to be restrained and to have people forcibly medicating him. And at the time of this interview, he talks about it as a positive experience that being hospitalized really gave him a wake up call. And he realized like he needed to take care of himself better. Since then, he has gone kind of back and forth about if that experience was necessary or not, and now seems to fall more on the side of it was wrong for him to be hospitalized and that it was unnecessary because he wasn't experiencing a mental illness. Um, so I, I think the truth probably is, is somewhere in the middle there. Um, and I, I'm not going to do it too much in this episode, but I think there is also a conversation to be had about the trauma of being involuntarily hospitalized and what that can do in, to someone in an overtaxed mental health care system like we have in the U.S. I would imagine that if we had better access to mental health care, hospitalization might not be as traumatizing. Uh, so that's just going to be my little pin um, on that point. But Kanye himself has talked about in the past that this hospitalization was a wake-up call for him. And then in 2018, his album Yay came out and he in the album references being diagnosed with bipolar disorder as well. I say that up front because now, and now in 2022, he has made several statements about not being diagnosed, that that's a lie, uh, not wanting people to diagnose him. And so I just, uh, you know, to reiterate my stance on the show that like I don't diagnose people that I'm not sitting in front of or working with, when I'm referring to bipolar disorder or Kanye, and the disorder, I'm coming from this perspective that he has shared in the past that he has been diagnosed with this, and at a time, he shared this at a time when we know he was stabilized. I cannot with confidence say that he's stable at this point. Like, as of recording in December 2022, 
Kanye West does not appear to be stable. In these past interviews that I'm referencing, he does. And so I, I think that we can take what he said in those interviews with more of a grain of truth than a grain of salt. So that's why I like kind of am setting this up this way, just so that when I talk about this, it's not coming from a place of diagnosing him from afar, but of working within the confines of the diagnoses that he has um, endorsed. So in this same interview, he also talked about needing to take medication daily to manage his mood and his symptoms, and that some of his past actions were the result of him missing medication. And he specifically referenced um, showing up to TMZ as a episode in which he was not taking his medication. If you're not familiar with Kanye lore, this was an incident where he was getting some flack for comments such as saying slavery was a choice. He was starting to like instigate fights and, you know, was starting to say more controversial things and ended up going to TMZ to like the offices to confront people as they had been trying to get statements from him and overall was described as acting erratic. And so in hindsight, when he is talking to David Letterman, he's able to say that happened at a point when I was not taking my medication as prescribed. And so himself has endorsed the idea that when his behavior gets more erratic and unpredictable, it is likely a sign that he is not compliant with his medication. So that in his own words, that is what he has said in in these interviews. So you may be thinking to yourself, Grace, what is bipolar disorder? You keep saying it, but what does it actually mean? So bipolar disorder is a pretty large category of mood disorders, which includes quite a few types. We have bipolar 1 disorder, bipolar 2 disorder, cyclothymic disorder, bipolar disorder with mixed features, and bipolar disorder with rapid cycling. So kind of baseline, bipolar disorder is a disorder of periods of mood that range that include depressive symptoms and then periods of mood that include manic symptoms or a manic episode. Mania is typically understood to be periods of abnormally or persistently elevated, expansive or irritable mood. Elevated means like more positive or like increased positive mood. Expansive is is kind of like um a, a grandiose mood or a, like a, a wide-ranging mood that has its underlying idea of like the person being king or emperor, right? Kind of on top of everyone else. Or mania can also be irritable moods, like increased irritability, usually like way beyond what the person's like baseline would be. And in true full-blown manic episodes, we're looking at these symptoms lasting for at least a week and being present for most of the day. So the, the, that elevated mood. During the period of elevated mood, we're also looking for at least three of the following symptoms. So inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, decreased need for sleep. So this this is like only needing like two or three hours of sleep and, and feeling rested, not feeling tired after you wake up, but feeling rested. More talkative than usual or pressured speech, which means like the, the speech just keeps coming and coming and coming. Flight of ideas or experiencing thoughts as racing. Uh, extreme distractibility. Increase in goal-directed activity or psychomotor agitation. This goal-directed activity means like toward the end of something. So like starting a project that has an end, right? Like a craft or a school project. And psychomotor agitation would be 
your your body is moving in ways that are not getting you toward a goal like finishing a project. So just like fidgeting. Um, or excessive involvement in activities that have a high potential for painful consequences, which looks like impulsive spending, risky sex, or uh, things like gambling when the person maybe didn't gamble in the past. So if at least three of those things are happening during this one week, minimum one week period of elevated mood, someone would be meeting the criteria for uh, a manic episode. A uh, hypomanic episode has some of similar symptoms, but they're more subdued. So a hypomanic episode may not have the intensity to the mood elevation and may have things like more talkative, but not to the um, extreme of pressured speech. So hypomania comes at a sort of like diluted version of mania, but can still be impairing. So bipolar 1 disorder includes the uh, mania, full-blown mania and depressive episodes, whereas bipolar 2 disorder includes the hypomanic or the less intensive manic episodes. And in both disorders, these mania episodes are followed by bouts of depression or episodes of depressive symptoms. To meet criteria for either bipolar 1 or bipolar 2, you only have to have a lifetime history of one manic or hypomanic episode. So you could, like, if you're 40 years old and you've had you had one manic episode when you were 25 and you never have a manic episode again, but you have depressive episodes, you still meet the criteria for bipolar disorder because you had one of those manic disorders, uh, manic episodes. And in terms of like differentiating hypomania from mania, uh, mania is, is intent. It typically can lead to things like hospitalization. So if someone is having these kinds of manic symptoms and ends up in the hospital, we typically would not call that hypomania. We would escalate that to a manic episode because the if the symptoms are so severe that they require hospitalization, that it doesn't meet this criteria for the kind of di- diluted symptoms of hypomania. So the, the two main ones are bipolar 1 and 2. Cyclothymic disorder is kind of like less intense hypomania with less intense depressive episodes. So it might be someone who cycles between periods of like increased mood and talkativeness and then their, their depressive episodes are um, maybe they're not to the point where they're thinking about suicide or you know, having trouble getting out of bed, but their mood is down and they have maybe some loss of energy. You don't see cyclothymic much out in the wild. It doesn't get diagnosed a lot because it's really hard to diagnose because it's essentially like life, right? Like if we have ups and we have downs in our mood. Often though, if you do see cyclothymic uh, disorder, it's a, it can be seen as a precursor for a bipolar disorder. So some people will give the diagnosis of cyclothymic disorder as kind of like a placeholder to see if it will uh, deteriorate into bipolar one or two. Um, but essentially cyclothymic is just much smaller or much less intense mood fluctuations. Mixed features um, can be someone who experiences both manic and depressive symptoms at the same time. At the same time. So maybe like really high energy uh, you know, that lack of sleep, but then feeling hopeless and having thoughts of suicide at the same time within the same mood episode. And then rapid cycling refers to having four or more mood episodes within one year. So let's say 
in the year of 2022, having three depressive episodes and a manic episode would, would qualify for rapid cycling. And that's called rapid cycling because we typically don't see that much of a turnaround between uh, mood disorders. So mood disorder episodes can either be like they last a long time, like a depressive episode could last several months with a, a brief period of remission before the next one starts. Um, but typically, like, you'll be in, in an, ep- an episode for a while before it switches. So rapid cycling is seeing um, the, these shifts between the manic and the depressive episodes um, within a, a condensed period of time. Now, a common myth about bipolar disorder is that the cycling between mani- manic episodes and depress- depressive episodes happens, like, over the course of a few days or even within one day. That is not true to the diagnosis. Bipolar disorder is characterized by these mood episodes that need to last for usually, for manic episodes, at least a week, and for depressive episodes, at least two weeks. If someone is having, like, the mixed features one, that could be someone who presents as having, like, big mood swings all in one day because they present with both the manic and depressive. That presentation is much more rare. A kind of, like, boilerplate or standard presentation of bipolar disorder is going to be someone who has manic epi- manic symptoms for that week period. They d- go away or diminish and they um, have depressive symptoms following. Maybe not right away, but there's the kind of come down happens coming down into a, a, a depressive episode. So really similar to like what I talked about in the OCD episode, that we have this cultural language or this cultural use for bipolar disorder where we say, oh, I'm so bipolar means like I'm really moody or my mood shifts a lot and I I don't feel like I have control over it. And that's not what bipolar means. Now, in essence, bipolar does mean extreme moods at opposite ends of the spectrum, right? The, The mania would be on the very intense opposite side of the spectrum from depression. That's what's called bipolar, two poles of the kind of emotional spectrum. So there is something to that. The, the word bipolar is describing like intensive mood symptoms that are outside of like, you know, the bell curve of normative emotional expression. But it does not mean that, um, you know, if you feel happy for the first few hours of the day and then you feel sad afterwards and then you get angry in the evening, that is not bipolar. And just like with OCD, that is something that if you hear yourself or your friends or your people around you saying that, let's cut it. (laughs) Let's cut it because it's really, bipolar disorder is a really difficult mental illness to live with and is really, really stigmatized, particularly for people that experience more of the manic episodes. Mania is really scary um, for the person experiencing it. It can it can be really scary because on one hand they feel really good, right? The the mood is high, the energy is high, feeling motivation to work on projects, particularly if you've just come out of a depressive episode, it feels like the complete opposite, right? Finally getting all of your energy back, not wanting to die, you know, wanting to work on these things and feel motivation, that can be a, a positive experience, yet can feel very out of control. And unfortunately, particularly with bipolar 1, with the the manic episodes, psychotic symptoms can also be present. Um, Or in other presentations like schizoaffective disorder, which I can talk about in a different episode. But these are 
um, situations where the person during a manic episode are also experiencing things like hallucinations, delusions, you know, disconnection from reality, maybe some depersonalization or derealization. And that is, is very, very scary to feel disconnected from reality. And that's what Kanye West has talked about, a feeling like the paranoia start to, you know, blossom while he's in the middle of an episode. So that's kind of like an overview of the disorder that he has said that he has been diagnosed with. I think some factors that have to be considered when talking about Kanye West and mental health are exacerbating factors that can make mental health conditions worse. And I think the biggest one that I think of when I think of Kanye West is unresolved grief, which can often aggravate mental illness. And he's been very open about the loss of his mother, Donda, who passed away from complications from a um, surgery, which was very unexpected and, you know, really quite traumatic for Kanye, as, as he has shared. And so even though it has been many years since his mother has passed away, the way that he talks about her, the way that his art centers around her and has really started to um, spiral in the last few years, I think it demonstrates that there is unresolved grief there. And for all of us, right, whether we're Kanye West or not, having things like unresolved or complicated grief can aggravate our mental health conditions. And unresolved or complicated grief are more likely to happen when a death is sudden, traumatic, very violent, or all of those things at the same time. So I think this is a lesson for all of us that when we are dealing with grief, that it is really important to tend to it, to process it in whatever way, right? Whether that means going to therapy or going to a grief support group, a grief counselor, getting support from your social circle, things like going to the funeral or memorial, having rituals to say goodbye to the lost loved one. Like all of these things are really important to do to process the grief because the more the grief is unresolved and has not been addressed, the more likely it is to rear its head in a very ugly way later on down the road. So I, I think like uh, I just want to include that consideration when we talk about Kanye West because he has been very open about how difficult losing his mother has been for him as well as has talked about his mental health conditions. And so I think the two just really go hand in hand. So my like cautionary tale to all of us is that when we are grieving something, even if it's not the loss of someone, right? If it's an ambiguous loss like a relationship ending or if it's the loss of like a pet or anyone, right? Any anyone or anything, any type of of loss. If we don't let it settle and let it process and attend to it, it, it can rattle around in our heads and our hearts, right? And still impact us. So that's one of my takeaways. Um, I also think that Kanye West mental health comes to play in this new, well, I guess not new, but this emergence of his talking points around pornography. So again, for context, if you haven't been watching any of the interviews that he's been doing in the last like month or so, um, you, you won't know this. But what he's been doing is as he goes on these right-wing media shows, he, in the middle of all of his conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic talking points, he brings up pornography and how it is evil 
how it ruined his marriage, how his wife is somehow con- like contributes to pornography and how it is essentially a type of pedophilia, like a-, a lot of very odd things about pornography and there's like a fixation on it. And again, not to diagnose, but to highlight that I think this can be a an example of how tricky it can be to differentiate between ideas of reference and delusions when working with someone who is living with bipolar disorder. So what what are those? First of all, ideas of reference versus delusions. So ideas of reference are often precursors to delusions. So they're kind of like delusions light. But what they kind of boil down to are real things that are happening in the world, but are being interpreted by the person as connected to them. If you remember in one of my mini episodes where I talked about apophenia, which is a cognitive bias wherein uh, we, we tend to see things as connected and all being connected back to us. This is very similar. Ideas of reference kind of come out of the same train of thought as apophenia. So if we were to use Kanye's insistence on pornography ruining his marriage, for example, we could look at that as an idea of reference because the things that are happening are true, right? His marriage did end and pornography does exist, right? Those are, are two things that are true. However, through this idea of reference, he has connected the two events and tied them back through to himself, but not in a conventional way. So the conventional way might be to say, I have a problem with looking at pornography. I did not get help for it. And that is one of the factors that influenced the dissolution of my marriage, right? That, that's like the reality way of looking at it. The ideas of reference way of looking at it is that I see pornography everywhere and can't seem to stop myself from looking at it. It must be part of this larger conspiracy to try to stop me. And my wife is behind it, hence why our marriage ended, right? That the, thing, the outcomes are still what really happened, right? That his marriage ended. But the way in which he makes sense of that is maybe not entirely based in reality. And these ideas of reference differ from delusions because delusions are entirely not based in reality. Full-blown real delusions have an element of certainty in that the person is convinced that the thing is real. They have an element of incorrigibility, which means the person cannot be convinced otherwise than believing their delusion and an element of impossibility and that the delusion is bizarre and not real. So that separates it out from ideas of reference. So a delusion might be that someone is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that a shadowy organization is making pornography specifically to target their marriage and like leaving it around the house or you know, uh, leaving like clues to figure out who this organization is, right? It it has uh, a more intense element of this kind of like bizarre reality. Now, there can be non-bizarre delusions, which don't have uh, any element of like supernatural or otherworldly content. So non-bizarre delusion. Well, actually, the the government agency might be a non-bizarre delusion that like Everyone participating in it is presumably human. A bizarre delusion tends to focus on things that are supernatural, like ghosts or demons or aliens, stuff like that. So long story short, ideas of reference and delusions are very similar, but they're kind of like if we look at it as like a graded spectrum, ideas of reference being a little less intense than 
delusions and often noticing ideas of reference in someone can be a precursor to a diagnosis of a disorder that includes psychotic symptoms, which includes bipolar disorder. So I say that as more of an informational aspect that if there is someone in your life who you are noticing is starting to have these kind of odd ideas where everything comes back to them, right? The reference part means like that it references back to them. Everything references back to the person. If you're starting to notice that, that it could, that could be a sign that this person needs some extra support and could, could potentially be a like prodromal symptom of a disorder that includes psychotic symptoms. So I say that in um, the essence of like spreading some information or education. So that is, I think, one possible explanation for why the pornography conversation keeps coming up with Kanye West. But I'm going to get into some other explanations as I go through my outline here. Um, The last point that I want to make about like kind of mental health before I jump into the other stuff is that with people who have a lot of fame or power and also have a mental health condition, there is a lot of opportunity for that person with the mental health condition to be enabled in terms of their ineffective behavior. So if we're using Mr. West as an example, there are lots of stories that are coming out or have come out in the past about him being verbally abusive to employees, being sexually aggressive or harassing of employees, of, you know, maybe not acting as professionally as one could, and being given a lot of allowances for his behavior in the name of like creativity and artistry and fame, right? That the power of his celebrity is that people do not confront him or try to correct his ineffective behavior. And I I think particularly for adults, this is a tricky conversation because it's hard to say like, where does the entire responsibility lay, right? One thing that I've said on this show over and over again is that your mental health is not your fault, but it is unfortunately now your responsibility. And I think in Kanye's case, right, like being diagnosed with bipolar disorder is not his fault. There isn't anything that he did to like bring on the disorder. However, with the diagnosis, it now becomes your responsibility to take care of yourself, right? Whether that means medication, going to therapy, limiting the amount of activity you do in a day, other types of self-care like attending to hygiene and sleep, like all of those things become very important in managing someone's illness. Just like if you had diabetes, you know, eating correctly, the correct amount of sugar, testing your blood sugar and taking insulin are all the things that you have to do to manage your illness. It's the same thing with something like bipolar disorder. In fact, there are a lot of theories that bipolar disorders get activated by like circadian rhythms getting thrown off. So it's really important for someone with this disorder to stay on a schedule in line with their circadian rhythm and not try to go too out of whack of that rhythm to prevent a manic episode from getting triggered. So like there are things that can be done to prevent these things, right? Or to at least mitigate the possibility of a full-blown manic episode or full-blown depressive episode happening. So that is where I would say the responsibility would lie within Kanye, right? That, that like he has some control over how he takes care of himself and doing things like 
flying between the states and staying up all night to work on shoe designs and record music may not be the best thing for his mental health. But I'm not his therapist, so I'm not going to tell him <laughs> what to do. So again, on that, that's his side. However, I think there is also responsibility on the people that we work with or are in community with to uh, let us know when our behavior is being ineffective. And if Kanye West were just some regular guy who worked at an office, like, I don't know, if he worked, if he worked like at Adidas <laughs> in the offices, not as like a, a celebrity designer and did some of the things that I will tell you about in later sections, he would be fired. He would be sanctioned. He would have to talk to HR, go to sensitivity trainings. Like he would have to do, there would be so many consequences for his behavior and he would be punished. But when you tack on the fame and the status and the money, all of a sudden those behaviors become part of an artist or an edgy presentation and there's no consequences for behavior. And in fact, like natural consequences of behavior are removed because people are in, the people who are doing the enabling are like smoothing over the natural consequences. And so when someone who is famous but and has a mental health condition engages in an ineffective behavior and there are no natural consequences or no consequences for it at all, it's more likely that the behavior is going to happen again, right? That it's getting reinforced. To, and it can get to a point where it's like, well, how is this person going to ever listen or be receptive to criticism or feedback about their behavior if every time it's been smoothed over and implicitly approved of by the organization? And I think this ties into my, my points that I've made before, particularly in the, these We Need to Talk About series, that like mental illness or like not taking care of mental health conditions is not a prerequisite for artistic nature. That like it is entirely possible for Kanye West to create good, amazing music and to produce, you know, beats and songs that are fantastic while medicating and attending to his mental health conditions. That those things are possible with good mental health or managed mental health and that it doesn't require like living on the edge of a constant manic episode to make good art or make good music. But because we have this cultural myth that it does require that, that the most artistic and edgy people are the most unwell, then it becomes incentivized to not correct ineffective behavior or not encourage someone to seek help or to turn a blind eye when you see someone decompensating someone famous and, you know, known as an artist, when you see them decompensating, it's easy to turn away to say like, well, that's part of it, right? That this is necessary for a tortured artist or, you know, for an, a sick artist to um, make the best art possible. And I just, like, frankly, I just, in my opinion, don't think that that's true. I think that it is entirely possible to create amazing art while also taking care of yourself. And I think that there are probably thousands if not millions of people out there who do manage their mental health conditions effectively and create amazing art whether it's music or painting or embroidery like whatever it is right there are people who are managing their mental health and creating art and it is entirely possible and also like at this point in Kanye's career he has created amazing things he's created albums that people love he has created you know like visual music videos that people 
will love forever. And, you know, he's created merch and fashion that people idolize and consume. So even if his career were to end right now because he needs to manage his mental health, he's already established himself with a legacy as an artist. And so there is no need to like continue to push oneself to decompensate further to see how far, you know, the mind can be pushed. There's no need for that because he has established himself and and created a legacy. And so it just I I the other side of this is that people can enable this because we have this idea that you have to be tortured to make good art. And so there are people in Kanye West's life I would believe and that I've read in some of these articles do these things to encourage and push the kind of wild behavior or the, you know, out there statements because it's all in the pursuit of more, right? Creating more, being more edgy, making more money. Um, and that that is the way in which someone with a mental health condition like Kanye becomes enabled and exploited. And it's a tough line to walk, particularly for someone who's an adult man and has agency, right? It's, I think it's easier to understand with children because they don't have agency, but with an adult person who has agency over their actions and is being enabled during a, a period of great vulnerability, it's hard to say, like, where does the responsibility lie? And I do think some of it lies on Kanye, but I also think some of it lies on these people who are clearly exploiting him, whether it's executives at Adidas or, um, you know, political figures or these right wing media, the media people who who keep put getting him on for sensational interviews like all of this stuff is in, is enabling and is inappropriate. And I think exploitation of someone with a, you know, very serious mental health condition that does need to be managed in a very specific way. And it's just, it's exploitative. And so I think that that makes it really hard. I have a lot of sympathy for Kanye West because of what he's gone through and what he has shared. And because I think that he is being exploited in some ways. And I also don't feel a lot of sympathy for him for some of his actions in that he is a person with control over himself to some extent and can be making different choices, choices that are not harming tons and tons of people. So with that, I'm going to get into some more explicit examples of how he's treated people poorly um, and how that might all tie in. So bear with me as I go through that. I think this is the more like kind of content warning part where I'm going to get into some rough stuff. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's just get into it. So the first is um, how he treats women. And the two glaring examples of that are his relationship with Kim Kardashian and the way that he treated employees at Adidas. So starting with Kim Kardashian, um, they, they dated for a while and then got married and had several children together. I remember their proposal being on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. He proposed to her at like a baseball field, if I remember correctly. Um, but that's not the focus here. <laughs> their prior relationship. So in the kind of modern era, right, the last few years, their relationship has started to devolve and become more tense. And they have decided to separate and divorce, which I think the divorce just got finalized, the settlement. And uh, they'll be splitting custody of their children and Kim will be getting a $200,000 a month uh, child support payment from or alimony or whatever from the um, divorce settlement. So it's like official like their their divorce is done. But the way in which he talks about her is 
very upsetting. He has accused her of cheating on him multiple times. He accuses her of cheating on him even though they're divorced. And in fact, the the most recent incident, at least up to the date of recording this, is that he accused a, I believe, NBA player of sleeping with her, kind of in an attempt to send his fans to this NBA player's social media pages to uh, harass him. And like, there's no, there's no substantiating this rumor. Like, he's just like flat out lying and saying that she's um, sleeping with these people. Which it wouldn't even matter because they're not in a relationship anymore. It's not cheating if you're divorced and in a new relationship. He also had a very public feud with Pete Davidson when Pete and Kim were dating and was constantly posting screenshots of texts that Kim was sending him. He has even doxxed the school in which his children attend in an attempt to retaliate against Kim, accuses her of stealing the kids, of keeping him from them. And really, a lot a lot of it has taken place on social media where he's posting like very personal conversations between the two of them or other family members and really shows a pattern of him like coming in quite hot, quite aggressively um, against her or, you know, whoever he's talking to. Oh, and I should also mention that in 2020, when he was running for president, he did one campaign event in which he went on a very long speech about abortion and how Kim almost aborted one of their pregnancies, which she decided not to and ultimately was one of their their children. He like talked about that on this like televised event and was I don't remember quite all of it, but like accusing her of wanting to kill one of his babies essentially. Which is like a double whammy event because on one hand, like it is her body, her choice. And this is probably not something that she wants spread around. Otherwise, we would all know about it because she is very much in control of her own narrative. Uh, And second, like for the child, what a horrible story to hear about your parents. And to particularly given the age of their children, right? They're still they're still very young and may not know entirely what this means. But to hear your father on television saying that your mother wanted to kill you, that's, you know, that's going to do some damage, whether they found out about it right away or not. Like ha- having that out there in the public record is, I-, I would say, not ideal for a child's like development, sense of self, relationship with their parents, like all of that. So th- I think that's a double whammy one. But but all of this to say that I think another, this is another example of how it can be really tricky of like wanting to have empathy for someone with a serious mental health condition, that they're really going through it and experiencing a lot of turmoil and suffering. And at the same time that they are doling out punishment and suffering to the people around them. That like for not every minute of Kim and Kanye's relationship was Kanye in a manic episode, right? Like that that's not possible. And there were probably like we don't know everything that went on behind closed doors and we don't need to know. But there were probably most likely times where things were okay or normal or fun or happy. And then there were times when things were bad, like when he's posting text messages between the two of them where she's begging him to leave the children alone right like that is not an indicator of like a a, you know a happy time at home or a good time at home and that 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 behavior is not okay even if someone is going through a manic episode or a mental health you know breakdown or decompensation like those behaviors are not okay and again in this vortex of mental health and celebrity where is the accountability for acting like that where is the um, consequences for acting like that. 
when sure he gets banned from social media sites but has throughout all of this had a group of people yes manning him into these actions that enables him to do it more and more again and getting a reaction even from fans that react right even if 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 we're the conversation we're having about it is just to laugh about it and say like that's crazy or that's so funny like that in a way is in itself is enabling and so it's almost like my recommendation would be to like ignore it or like leave it alone and i know how hypocritical as i'm like speaking about this person for an hour but to either like critically engage with the content or you know ignore it because when it's just like that's so funny or that's so wild it's it's like really reinforcing for the behavior to to happen again look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So overall, I think within his treatment of Kim Kardashian, we get a, a, a look at how he looks at women and treats women, and that it's not... A pretty picture and there are definitely multiple factors at play here yet at the end of the day the I think the takeaway is that like it's still not an okay way to treat a partner or a co-parent or whatever you know whatever the relationship is it's not an okay way to treat somebody the other thing that he's done toward Kim that kind of leads into my next chunk about his employees at Adidas is that he would share naked photos or videos of her in sexual situations with employees at Adidas. And I got all of this information about Adidas from this Rolling Stone article that came out in November, when was it? 22, November 22nd, 2022. And it's by Sullivan and Roundtree. It's a long read in the Rolling Stone. It's um, linked on the sources page. I highly recommend reading it yourself because I had no idea any of this was happening. And also speaks to the idea that a lot of this treatment of women, particularly the Kim, has been going on for a long time and is not a result of this like recent break or recent episode and speaks to a larger pattern of inappropriate behavior toward women and toward like subordinates or employees in general um, that I think he should be held accountable for because it seems to be happening separate from any like mental health crisis. That's one thing is that he was showing pictures of his wife, pictures that are probably meant just for him. He's showing them to employees at this company. He would also show other pornographic materials to employees or in job interviews. And he would make a lot of comments about like, I want you to design a shoe that I want to have sex with. And would talk very openly about how pornography inspired him and was his muse. And he, like, skipped going to some events so he could go to the Pornhub Award. Like, just a lot of this stuff and it being just, like, always in the air when he would come to Adidas to work on the Yeezy designs. And the kind of takeaway from this Rolling Stone article that I read was that this stuff was happening for several years, ever since the Yeezys moved to Adidas, which I think was like 2018 or so, like t probably around the time that Yay album came out. 
this stuff has been going on since then. And Adidas had not handled the behavior in any rational way. That if an employee complained or reported the behavior, they would kind of slowly shuffle that employee away from the team that worked with Kanye and move them to like a different part of the company or, you know, to the point where they quit. There did not seem to be any evidence of Adidas like uh, disciplining Kanye for talking like this or even protecting the rights of the employees to not be in an environment where this kind of stuff is happening all the time. And it very much became a, a culture of let Kanye do whatever he wants because he's the genius. So once again, to my point that like we don't need to be a crazy evil genius or a you know maniac genius to create good art. And at the end of the day, from these reports, it seems like Adidas sold out their employees to be harassed and abused at work for them to make more money because Yeezys is a popular product and they knew they needed to keep Kanye happy in order to keep making money off of him. So like through their exploitation of Kanye, right, by not setting limits or not providing consequences for his ineffective behavior, they created an environment where then employees begin to suffer at the hands of Kanye West because He's a genius and he's making us money. And so, like, by pursuing profit over anything, people get hurt. And I think the thing that was, like, scariest or, I guess, most unsettling about reading through this account was that some of the employees who almost all of them go unnamed for, like, fear of, of retaliation, one of the employees was saying, like, you, you, they didn't even think it was weird that Kanye would be, like, playing a porn video during a meeting that they started to just accept that it was part of the environment and kind of associated that with like being in a cult where you just start to accept that things are normal because they're happening within this like ecosystem where it it becomes, you know, a sanctioned behavior. And so, you know, I don't know what Kanye's motive is when he shows a porn video in the middle of a meeting. It could be for shock value. It could be because he just can't go without it. It could be because of, you know, many other reasons. But the the consequences of it are that people are uncomfortable and then are now in a position where their employers are telling them, you can't speak out against this. You don't have the right to a safe workplace. With the implicit message being because we're trying to make more money, we're trying to like pursue as much profit as possible. And so it is entirely possible that Kanye was using pornography to wield power over people beneath him. And that the obsession he has with pornography is related to these ideas of reference or delusions associated with his mental health. Like both of those things can be true at the same time. And I think that's what makes it even more crucial for there to be like limits set on that, right? That that unfortunately Adidas needs to be stepping in <laughs> to say like that this is not okay. And the fact that it took a public outcry for Adidas to finally break their relationship with Kanye and not their own employees telling them that they were suffering is very telling that again the profit or the the motive is for profit on the side of Adidas regardless of what the motive is is on the side of Kanye West and I'll say it once again for the people in the back we don't need to create this type of like 
tortured, edgy, pushing the limits of all social norms kind of environment to make good art. Like, especially if the art is shoes, right? Like, it just, it also just like doesn't seem very necessary for like the type of workplace that Adidas was, but whatever. I'm not a, I'm not a shoe person. I don't, I don't necessarily know all the ins about. Um, and I will say that it didn't seem that it was like explicitly women that were targeted by this at Adidas, that, that Kanye was showing porn videos to everybody. Um, but I will say that like, it seems like the content of the pornography that he was sharing was of women and would sometimes be explicit images of his own wife, which is that uh, that is like a type of sexual assault right to show non-consensual images of somebody to another person that like the the person in the image has not given consent to have their images shared like right that i i would say that's under the umbrella of revenge porn uh that is like a type of sexual assault and like so that in itself is so so wrong to do and you know violates kim's rights and privacy but then it also violates the rights and privacy of the people that he's showing it to because they didn't consent to see it, right? He's just showing it. He's just like, or he's just like playing a porn video in the background in a, in a work meeting. And it's like, people are not consenting to that, right? That's not part of the agreement that you have in this workplace. And so all of it together just really shows like this, this way that he perceives women maybe as objects and then uses them as like a muse, quote unquote muse for his art. Like that's still objectifying a woman or a woman's body. And Again, it's the thing that was like enabled because it was a sign of him being an edgy creative artist, right? That's how it was spun in this article at Adidas was like that it's part of the edginess. It's part of his creativity. So we can't possibly interrupt it, even though it's something that's making people uncomfortable and does, is not respectful of everyone, of anyone involved in the situation. So now that we've talked through how Kanye has treated women, let's talk about how Kanye has jumped headfirst into the pool of anti-Semitism and white supremacy. Now, the thing that shocked me when I was reading um, the materials I prepared for this is that this is not the first time that Hitler has come up in conversation with Kanye West, that there has been quite a long history of Kanye referencing things like Mein Kampf, talking about Hitler. Um, In fact, there was um, in the era that I talked about before where he went to TMZ, there was like a lot of clips of him talking about Hitler that TMZ cut at the time and that he wanted to name his 2018 album Hitler, but he had to be talked down from that. So like this 2022 stuff is not new, that this has been something that has been rattling around his brain for quite a while. And I, and that was quite shocking to hear because you would think, oh, we would have heard stories about this. And maybe we did. I just don't remember from 2018, from you know almost five years ago. Um, but I think it just like because he was not saying it in public forums, people were okay with covering it up for him. But that this time it has gotten to the point where it is like untenable to ignore, and it's like not possible for people to sweep it under the rug anymore. And so all of these stories are starting to come out at the same time. So with the understanding that Hitler, the Holocaust, Jewish people have long been a fixation of Kanye, in the last few months, he's done quite a few things. He uh, tweeted in October about going, quote unquote, DEFCON 3 on Jewish people, which got him banned for Twitter. And although is in a grammatical sense, not a sentence that made a lot of sense, 
the intent was clearly understood that it meant doing like harm to the community of Jewish people, right? That that's who he, he wanted like harm done to them. Um, that he got banned from that. And then when Elon took over Twitter, he reinstated Kanye, who then immediately got banned. Well, not immediately, but within a few weeks, got banned for tweeting an image of the Star of David with a swastika inside of it, which is like, again, is like a weird thing. Like, doesn't really make a lot of sense, but also we can't be tweeting Nazi symbols, right? Like, we, we should all, in 2022, we should all be on the same page that we should not be tweeting Nazi symbols, right? Because that sends a very clear message of, like, hate and violence. Um... He then went on, this is not as important, he went on this guy Tim Pool's show. Tim Pool is just kind of like a YouTube guy. He went on that show and stormed out when confronted about his, well, not confronted, Tim Pool did not even really bring it up. He kind of couched his arguments. Um, But Kanye walked out when he felt like he wasn't getting a platform to spew his hatred. He then went on the Alex Jones show where he got to pretty uh untethered he had a pretty untethered platform where he got to just spew a lot of hate toward jewish people spread conspiracies that there's like a cabal of jewish people trying to you know do things to him specifically um talked about how pornography is like from jewish people and it's part of like a conspiracy to prevent him from doing something it was very incoherent, but all of it kept looping back to um, like that Hitler did a lot of good things and that Jewish people are bad. Like That's really what it boiled down to. Um, he then, after going on the Alex Jones show, released a song called Someday We'll All Be Free, which included pretty explicit lyrics about his anti-Semitic beliefs, which then actually got him delete, uh, banned from Instagram. Then, just a few weeks ago, at the beginning of December, he did an interview with Gavin McGinnis, who was the founder of the Proud Boys, that right-wing militia group, um, where he said that Jews need to forgive Hitler and refers to pornography as the real Holocaust. So all of that, kind of just like in one go, in the last two or three months, it's it's been a lot. And I, you know, I, I want to be careful here in that I am not a Jewish person and I want to be sensitive to the impact these comments can make and use this to highlight that the Holocaust is such a like powerful example of intergenerational trauma that like the, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to get into it, but like the impact that the Holocaust has had on generations of Jewish families, like physically, biologically, right? There has been consequences because of living with stress and constant fear of discrimination and persecution, uh, you know, going through like intense periods of malnourishment, and then like within family dynamics, passing on the trauma that people suffered in the Holocaust, which is really not that long ago, right? Like there, people are still alive that uh, lived through the Holocaust. These are like memories and traumas that like live in the bones of, of families and get passed down. And so when someone refers to something as a real Holocaust or blows off the impact or even flat out denies that the Holocaust actually happened, like that is just another blow 
in this intergenerational trauma that gets passed on. And I think for some people, it can be very triggering and bring up a lot of this stuff that may be unresolved or can't be resolved because of like the just impact of the trauma on generations of people. And so I, I say all of that to, to demonstrate like that I, I it's very serious. Like, like these, these anti-Semitic things that he's saying are, are very serious. Um, and I also am going to spend some time talking about how they relate to mental health and that my caveat is that the relationship between like anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and mental health does not denigrate the harm that these types of statements make to the Jewish community. So that's my that's my whole setup um, is to say that like even though some of these things may come out of a place of psychotic symptoms or mental illness, um, that they're still very harmful to the community at which they are directed. So to to kick that conversation off about psychotic symptoms and anti-Semitism, I want to read this quote from an article called "We Should Forgive Kanye West," um, which is cited in my sources on unheard.com. And this quote is from from within that article that is attempting to shed some light on this relationship between um, psychotic symptoms and anti-Semitism. So here's the quote. Psychotic delusions tend to borrow from previously existing conspiracy theories. The nature of schizophrenia in particular, but potentially mania also, is to see shadowy forces that are arrayed, that are committing crimes and are doing bad things that will hurt you eventually. You're very likely to borrow the language and the explanations and the theories of the conspiracy movements around you. And I can tell you from personal experience, there's a lot of people in mental illness facilities, mental health facilities, who believe in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, because anti-Semitic conspiracy theories are some of the oldest in the world. They're some of the most prevalent in the world. And I read that quote to highlight that this is not an exclusive to Kanye West, right? That this this is a phenomenon that has been observed in other um, mental health areas or, or institutions. That through this process of the brain latching onto delusions or ideas of reference, that the, the brain starts to try to find patterns. That if we, you know, the, the kind of ultimate intersection of conspiratorial thinking and apophenia, which I've talked about in other episodes, are the, the intersection of those two things are making connections between patterns found in the wild and connecting them all back to the self. And historically, Jewish people have been the focus of conspiracy theories for a very long time. I talked about this in my Jordan Peterson episode, that cultural Marxism is actually comes out of an anti-Semitic theory. I've talked about this in my conspiratorial thinking episodes. There's, there's two of them if you want to listen. Um, but I've talked about this, how anti-Semitic conspiracies just, there's just so much history because Jewish people have long been communities that differentiated themselves because of like religious and cultural practices and then became scapegoats for like economic downturn or the plague or war, like just become the scapegoats for everything. And so no matter how far back you go in history, you can find examples of people blaming the Jewish community for things that are happening to them. The Jewish people were blamed for the plague, like the black, the bubonic black plague. Jewish people were blamed for that because they had cultural practices where they would wash themselves um, downriver 
so that their, the water they washed themselves in was not flowing into their drinking water, whereas the rest of the community was washing themselves upstream so that their gross body parts <laughs> got washed into the area where they then used the water for drinking. And so the Jewish community was less likely to catch the plague because they had better hygiene practices than the rest of the community. But the rest of the community just sees, well, they're not getting the plague as much as we are. They must be doing something evil to us. And that is pretty much what every like anti-Semitic conspiracy theory boils down to is like, wait a minute, those people are doing something different and bad things are happening. So it must be because of them doing something different. And that's just like such a shortcut, right? Like such a simple way of seeing things, right? And and is not true, right? The Jewish people did not cause anyone else to have the plague. They like those communities still got the plague. They are not responsible for things like economic downturns or wars, and they have long been persecuted because of their religious and cultural practices. But because there is so much of this history that that the that these anti-Semitic conspiracy theories are some of the oldest conspiracy theories, they tend to get pulled into the mind of someone who is experiencing psychotic or manic symptoms that if someone is experiencing the like pattern recognition gone awry that becomes the basis for conspiratorial thinking paranoia and delusions that pattern making overdrive starts to find the patterns of jewish anti-jewish conspiracy theories because there's so many of them it's impossible to like throw a stick without hitting an anti-semitic conspiracy theory and so the brain on this pattern recognizing overdrive starts to slot that in. And I would argue that that might be what's happening with Kanye West, that as his mental health deteriorates, as he, if he's potentially experiencing manic symptoms or psychotic symptoms, like as he's experiencing those and decompensating in that way, that this is the information that's kind of getting sucked in, right? This anti-Semitic stuff with the additional pressure of these like right-wing grifters like Nick Fuentes or Milo Yiannopoulos who are white supremacists and wholeheartedly believe in anti-Semitism pushing him to fuel the delusion. And in fact, I found out through a actually through a podcast called Knowledge Fight, which I will link in the sources page as well, the episode that I'm referencing. Um they they did some coverage of uh, uh, Kanye West on Alex Jones. And I did not know this, but I learned from this podcast that there are right-wing anti-Semitic beliefs that pornography was created by Jewish people to emasculate you know, quote-unquote white men or Gentile men or, you know, whoever, whoever you want, uh, non-Jewish men, right? Whoever you want to categorize that. And that it is entirely possible that this th- conspiracy theory is what bridged Kanye West into the anti-Semitism is that he had been struggling with pornography as evidenced by the the article about what's going on with Adidas and the way he's talked about it in the past. He had a brief like reprieve from it when he, when he did the Sunday services and had kind of like his religious turn and then that didn't last. So his like desire to, whether it was to stop watching porn or to watch more, whatever his desire was, but his like, kind of embroilment in this and then getting pushed closer and closer to the alt-right, getting linked from, you know, Trump to Alex Jones to Nick Fuentes, 
lands him in this world where it's so easy to connect pornography to Jewish people because there's already a theory out there that Jewish people created porn to emasculate the Gentiles. And that, that I think, could be a pretty identifiable bridge that got Kanye from where he was to full-blown anti-Semitism with the added context that he has long been fascinated with Hitler and has whatever that that little grain again is lodged in his brain and I think learning this to me just speaks to two things one being that like anti-Semitism is just so pervasive that like anti-Semites are out here saying that Jewish people invented porn and and everything right they (laughs) they seem to have invented everything it's crazy how busy they've been um but like like that's how pervasive anti-Semitism is. So if, if you even start to, if you if you've been thinking like, oh, this is so random how this seemed to come out of nowhere and it seems like, you know, anti-Semitism shouldn't be around anymore because we should have learned our lesson from World War II. Um, I'm here to tell you that that's unfortunately not the reality and that it it has always been here and that it is so pervasive it touches like every possible area you could think of. Someone somewhere has figured out how to blame Jewish people for it happening. And the second thing being that masculinity, particularly toxic masculinity, is very fragile. And that if someone is embroiled in toxic masculinity, they may feel like everything is an attempt to attack their own sense of maleness or or masculinity, you know, whatever that that boils down to. And that within this like vulnerability of toxic masculinity, there is so much room to exploit. Because it's not just Kanye West being exploited by these people like Nick Fuentes who believe this truly heinous stuff about Jewish people and people of color and women, but that there are plenty of like regular people who get exposed to this stuff on the internet. I would I would blanket call them like regular men who feel like there isn't a space for me to define my masculinity, that there are limited categories within which I can be a man, quote unquote, and that in that limited possibilities, there is so much threatening to their masculinity, which makes finding people like Kanye West, who appear to be you know, strong and masculine and embody all these toxic masculinity traits, to have them then embody these theories just makes it so much more palatable and becomes another way in which toxic masculinity becomes reinforced because it's like, oh, cool guys like Kanye believe these things. There must be something to it, right? So the, the anti-Semitism gets wrapped up in the toxic masculinity coupled with just the general toxicity of internet culture. And that's how we end up with movements like the incels, right? Or we end up with violence against women or violence against Jewish people or violence against people of color because these ideas just build and build and build and become more and more and more toxic um, through the internet and through different groups with different interests exploiting them. And I don't even think that you necessarily need to be someone who struggles with a mental health condition like Kanye to get into this pipeline from, you know, fragilized or toxic masculinity and struggles with pornography to the alt-right. Like, I, I, I think that many people get sucked along that pipeline because of different vulnerabilities, it's not always like a mental health condition, but it may be like social isolation. It may be 
lack of opportunities for like emotional regulation or emotional expression, like anything can make someone vulnerable to this pipeline. And I think it's something to, for all of us to like be aware of and keep an eye on that like men like Nick Fuentes don't come out of nowhere. There are people that support them and their whole mission is to get people on their side. And so having someone like Kanye West, who is incredibly famous, incredibly loved and well-known, well, maybe not incredibly loved anymore, but, you know, has an impressive fan base to have someone like that to launder your opinions through makes them so much more palatable. And then they get obfuscated by his like rambling and talking about pornography and talking about, you know, this, that, and the other. It it gets obfuscated, and so you don't necessarily see how dangerous the beliefs are because they're getting laundered through a celebrity. And I think that takes me to my final point that I want to make about how racism is at play in this whole situation with Kanye. And and that this exploitation that I'm noting where using using someone who is not mentally well has not been mentally well for several years, has made that clear that they've been diagnosed with a serious mental illness, of taking someone and laundering through these, these, these beliefs to make them more palatable and to have a cover. And the cover is that Kanye West is a black man. And so having him say anti-Semitic and white supremacist things means that these white supremacists can point to him and say, well, it's not a white supremacist belief because there's a black person saying it. It can't be white supremacist if it's not coming out of a white person's mouth. And so Kanye's like, you know, place as the mouthpiece for this truly heinous stuff that's being said is to serve a further purpose, which is to one, get more people to hear these talking points, because now all of us listening to this have heard these talking points. I'm sure Many more people than have ever listened to Alex Jones's show have heard at least parts of the Kanye interview. And even if the majority of people think it's silly or laugh it off or brush it off, there are going to be a few people that hear Kanye saying these things and because they idolize him and are in the same vulnerable position that he was in, they're going to agree with what he said and the alt-right gains some followers. The the I mean, Mick Fuentes is a Catholic nationalist. Like these these are these are not conservatives, okay? These are people who are far, far to the right and have now gotten themselves a symbol of acceptance of their beliefs because of who Kanye is. And the reality is, is that white supremacy affects all of us, regardless of what ethnicity or race that we are. And that the if we look at the larger purpose, like what is the larger purpose that Kanye is saying this anti-Semitic stuff and saying this right-wing stuff is, what is the purpose of having him say these things or egging him on in public platforms? The purpose is to make it more palatable. Because Nick Fuentes is not getting interviewed on Tucker, Tucker Carlson or on MSNBC or even having like a, a mainstream social media following. That's not happening because he's a weird little kid who lives in his mom's basement and has a streaming show where he tells people how to be a Nazi. Like that, that is literally what he does. He's not getting enough eyes on him that way. And so he sees this opportunity of here's an, a mega famous person who is incredibly vulnerable because he's, you know, lost his, his relationship, is not uh, in great contact with his children. You know, those two things alone make him vulnerable, is, you know, in the midst of a mental health crisis. Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, an incredibly vulnerable person 
Nick Fuentes saw that and Milo too, to some extent, saw that and said, here we go. We can take advantage of this. And now all of a sudden these white supremacist ideas are becoming palatable and are able to be spread farther because a name has been attached to them. And these people, these right-wing people are not, you know, supporting Kanye and wanting to take care of him and invest it in him. They will use him until he is drained and then they will throw him away. And I know I don't usually try to like prescribe behavior or guess at what people are thinking on the show. You know, I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but this is a situation in which I don't think it is a useful or even helpful thing to give someone like Nick Fuentes the benefit of the doubt. I think that it is incredibly clear what is happening here, that that Kanye West is being exploited for the role that he plays as a celebrity, as particularly a Black celebrity, and a celebrity who's known for being edgy and artistic, and he is going to be used until he is no longer useful, and then they will move on. And there will be no one left to help Kanye pick up the pieces because through his actions and through them egging him on, he has started to burn bridges with people who care about him. And I think that this happens to regular people too, that the kind of consequences of untreated mental illness can result in bridges being burned. And when when we enable that or when we don't like help people in a way that teaches them how to be more effective in their behavior or how to you know manage their their mental health conditions when we just like look at the spectacle and watch people burn out that's the result is they end up with no social support there's no social safety net in this country so there's no one to take care of them and and they end up in in this vulnerable like isolated condition and again i kept coming back to where where does the responsibility lie right is the responsibility on kanye to cut ties with these people and not allow himself to be the mouthpiece of white supremacy and white nationalism. I think there is some responsibility on him to do that. However, I also think that when someone is in the depths of a mental health crisis or, or whatever, right, a, a, not a, a healthy place mentally, the responsibility also falls on the people who are enabling him, like Nick Fuentes and Milo Yiannopoulos and even people like Alex Jones and Gavin McGinnis who are having him on the show to be a spectacle. He's being invited on these shows because it is a spectacle. It's not even because of his talent. It is because it is like watching a train crash into five other trains. He is there to generate income, to generate eyes on their content. He is not there because they are wanting to help him. And I personally believe that Kanye being a black man and a black person makes it more likely that he's seen as a spectacle, that his behavior is seen as silly and ridiculous because of his identities. And that this is not something that I'm just like pulling out of thin air, that there is evidence in the medical and mental health community that Black men in particularly are more likely to be diagnosed with things like schizophrenia because their behavior is interpreted to be off or to be quote unquote wrong. And I don't know how many like cultural humility or cultural competence classes I've sat through where the example that comes up is a black man presents for services at your clinic and endorses paranoia and he gets diagnosed with schizophrenia. What do you think about that? It's like, well, there's so many reasons why someone might be paranoid. 
we can't diagnose based off of just that. But that's a that's an that's an aside. Um, but it's true that black men and, and black people in general are more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia than they are to be diagnosed with depression. And and that is a is a misdiagnosis. They are misdiagnosed with schizophrenia when it it might be a presentation of something like depression or anxiety or even a trauma related disorder. And that this kind of lens from the mental health community is that this group of people presents with psychotic symptoms when often what they're presenting with is as mood symptoms. And that regardless of what, you know, Kanye's actual diagnosis is or all you know, all of his symptoms, the the reality is is that like black men everywhere are seen in the mental health community as more susceptible to these disorders. And I think that is uh, you know, tied to the way that black people are seen in the medical community, where they're seen as like having higher pain tolerances or you know, not had their symptoms taken seriously. Unfortunately, that bias is in the mental health community as well. And we are just as likely to write off a black person who reports certain symptoms in, in mental health. And like, I, you know, I, I put myself in that community, right? Like I have to take ownership of that as well. And so it's not just that, you know, Kanye West is being exploited for these, you know, horrible, horrible positions. But that there, you know, I think it's offset by him being a celebrity. But there is also a possibility that his access to quality mental health care or appropriate mental health care may not be as possible because of who he is, who his certain identities are. I say it's offset by his celebrity because, you know, he has way more resources than <laughs> most of us and so may have access to that higher quality mental health care. Um, but however, like there, this is still an important um, conversation to have and to realize that particularly communities of color, are often seen as, first of all, faking, right? So more likely to be applied with things like malingering, or their symptoms are interpreted through a lens of like delusion and paranoia when very often it has valid concerns based on previous experiences. And so regardless of what's happening with Kanye West, I just wanted to also have this be a jumping off point to start this conversation about how race influences the way that people are diagnosed with mental health conditions. And that, in turn, influences the stigma in which people uh, encounter for their mental health conditions. So, like, Black people are going to encounter a lot more stigma and a different type of stigma than white people are. And that is a conversation that I think we can continue to have on this, on this platform and this podcast, but I want to start the conversation here. So I've definitely talked about this topic for way too long, but it's something that I'm really, I really got fired up about a lot of the stuff that I was seeing about Kanye and still land at this point where I do think there's some responsibility that he needs to take and, you know, for like taking his medication and taking care of himself. But I also think that it it cannot be overstated that people are exploiting a very vulnerable person at this time. And that although I think his fame and celebrity are a buffer in some ways because they get him access to higher quality healthcare, they are also a hindrance in that he becomes much more of a target for groups like the alt-right because they can launder their opinions through him. So all in all, it's a messy, gross situation. But I hope that we at least learn something, even if it was just what are the symptoms of bipolar disorder um, in this episode. And I think these are conversations that I want to continue to have, particularly about race, gender, and mental health. So if you have any um, 
opinions or you know takes on these topics, I, I'd love to hear them. You can email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. My DMs are open even if I don't uh, tweet that much <laughs> or post that much um, on the on those accounts. But um, this is an important conversation to keep having. So I would love to um, hear, hear what people think and, and where you are at in this conversation. And so I just want to say thank you so much to all of my listeners for being with me through the year 2022. It has been a wild ride. It has been the first full year that I've been working on the podcast. And I'm so thankful to everyone who has listened, who has shared, who has downloaded. It means so much to me. And I'm so excited to be at a point where I am with the podcast and to feel like I get to actually share important information with people and that it it matters. It goes out to someone. Someone is listening. It's not just me talking into a microphone. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you so much to everyone who has listened, whether you've been listening from the beginning or you're just jumped into the community. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here. And so as always, I want to say thank you for listening all the way to the end. And I will see you in the next episode in 2023. Bye-bye.